So I, I'm a pastor's kid. I've said that here and there because it's when it's, really, when it, when it's important, I guess. So is Michelle. So I grew up around a lot of pastors. They always came around, you know, like to first, we just hung around with pastors. My dad was one, so we just did. So I heard a lot of, I got a lot of stories, you know. There was a pastor when I was young that was telling us a story that he went through. Now, this was back in the old church uh, days. Uh, some things that we, some of you, uh, church did different things that maybe they don't do as much now in certain cultures or depending on your denominational background. Like, I came from a church background that used to have uh, altar calls every week. Not, we we kind of do something similar where we have a time of prayer. We invite you to come pray. But these were kind of like, you know, full-on um, like Billy Sun, uh, Billy Graham Crusade evangelists that come to the front to get saved or come to the front to repent of your sins or maybe pray for a burden you're going through every week on Sunday morning at the altar uh, at the end of the sermon. People could come forward and make decisions. And uh, so that's, that was uh, something I was used to. Some of you are as well. And um, this uh, pastor friend was telling a story to us when I was younger about a, a situation he found himself in. He had a, a lady, in, a woman in his church who was a real busybody. We all know some busybodies in the world somewhere, probably in your neighborhood or at your job, maybe in your house, but don't point that out. But anyhow, there's probably some, we all know, but this woman was a busybody in the church. She was just a real gossipy, critical, negative busybody. And she happened to be a deacon's wife. Now that's just for the story's sake, I tell you that. We have awesome deacon's wives and deacon's husbands here. But um, this guy, this particular deacon's wife was just the, she was a church gossipy, busybody, negative person. And she talked to everyone about everything. And she was always stirring up trouble, always discontent about something, always passing on whatever she was discontent about to make sure someone else was also upset with her because she could not be upset alone, you know. And so she was doing her thing, just keeping the, everyone, you know, too many Christians do, I guess, I don't know. But this pastor, he said, told us that he got, you know, well, he got to a Sunday where he was preaching on the tongue. The Bible says a lot about the tongue. And he was preaching that Sunday about the tongue, or what we say with our words, in other words, pointing out some verses about the sins of the tongue. And he kind of got probably a step too far, because sometimes pastors get in the flesh, you know. So he got a little step too far. So he was, he was ranting. So he says at some point, he's like, some of you during the altar call later, you need to come down to the front and need to lay your tongue on the altar during invitation time. And then he was really getting stirred up, so he didn't stop there. He's like, in fact, some of you, if you were to come to the front during the invitation time and you were to lay your tongue at the front, he said it wouldn't fit. You lay your tongue on that end of the altar, it will go all the way across the altar to that end of the altar, out in the hallway, and still not have enough room for your tongue at so long. And he was just, he was just really, probably shouldn't have been saying any of that. But he apparently hit up tipping point or something, I don't know. So anyhow, he told us that after the sermon's over, they had the altar call, and that lady, that deacon's wife, she came forward. And she's praying at the altar, and she's crying. And he was so shocked by that, he's like, oh, wow. She really took this to heart. And so he felt like kind of, you know, soft-hearted to her. Like he was surprised to see her weeping at the altar. So he goes down to kind of support her. He kneels down at the altar and he starts praying with her and saying, Lord, bless this woman for her awareness of her, the, the, you know, of, of her sins with her tongue and the things she's said and that she's making it right here, Lord, before you and bless her. For, and he starts praying for her and she just gasps out loud and sits up with a red face and says, what? And she storms out to her seat angrily and he goes, uh-oh. He says that out that day he got a call from her husband for like an hour on the phone. Just up, she was so angry because she was not up there praying for her tongue. She was for all the other people who have problems with theirs, and that's what she was praying for. He totally misread 
the situation there, which, this, which is, teaches a lot of lessons to all of us about why. This, there's 10 lessons in there for us as pastors right there about how we operate. But anyhow, uh, that's just a funny story to me I've never forgotten since I got older. Why do I tell that, reason, that story today? I have no idea. No, I do. But uh, before I do, uh, we are studying the book of James. And uh, we've reminded you all along that James, who he was, was he was the, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, who grew up with Jesus growing up, but did not believe on Jesus until after Jesus died and rose again like he said he was going to do. And when James did what he said he was going to do, then when Jesus did that, James said, oh, wow, he really was who he said he was. He really was the Messiah that was promised. I lived with a Messiah. I just didn't know it. And James became a believer, and James became a spreader of the gospel so much that by the time eventually he became a leader in the church of Jerusalem, probably the senior leader at the church of Jerusalem, eventually gave his life, gave his life preaching the good news of God's love and eternal life through Jesus Christ. So James, we talked about him. If you've been with us these past many weeks, we've been studying, he wrote a letter that's contained in what in our Christian scriptures. We in the church world call it the New Testament, but it's kind of the Christian scriptures. James wrote a letter that we call the book of James in there. And uh, he, uh, we've been studying it. If you want to go back and catch the, the background about who James was or any of our earlier messages, you can go to Facebook Live and find the old videos or go to our website, as Joey mentioned earlier, and find the audio or the videos of many of them there as well on our website. But anyhow, James... Uh, James, the uh, brother of Jesus, wrote this letter that we're studying. And we've made it to chapter 3 today. And guess what James is going to talk about in chapter 3? The tongue. Which is why I thought of that story I told you earlier from that pastor that did what he shouldn't have done many years ago. Um, the tongue. Now before I get into this passage, I want to remind you of something. That James is writing this letter to largely a Jewish audience. In other words, the Jewish people had been scattered outside of their home country throughout all the area around them in Asia Minor. Through the years of captivity in the past, they were scattered. And even though the captivity years ended, many of them never came home. Some of them settled down in all these surrounding nations and across the world. And, um, and, of course, today we still see that, that uh, presence, uh, that uh, Jewish presence all over the world in, in many countries. And they were scattered all over Asia Minor. And some of them built uh, franchises, I'm not franchises, they built um, enterprises there. They kind of settled down and, and, and grew their families in these other cities. But many times they would build a synagogue in the city in which they lived so they could gather with other Jewish people and discuss their scriptures, the ancient Hebrew scriptures, we in the church world tend to call the Old Testament, they would take that, those scriptures and they would study them and they either have all of them or a portion of them. There was no printing presses back then, but they would, they would study them, usually get a copy of all of them and um, would, would read them in the synagogues and study. So they were familiar with the Hebrew scriptures and James is writing to these Jewish people who have been scattered but have come to hear about Jesus because Paul, the missionary, and other missionaries have spread the message and these these people have come to believe on Jesus as Jewish people all over the place. And so James is writing to them specifically in their new faith in Christ. So he's going to bring up the subject of the tongue, and his audience would have remembered something in the, old, the ancient Hebrew scriptures. They would have remembered a, a proverb. There's a book called Proverbs in the Hebrew scriptures, 
and full of wisdom, and they would have remembered this proverb in their synagogue readings. And the proverb is, is informative to this topic today. It goes like this. It's Proverbs 18.21. It says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. I'm going to break that down a little bit. The, the tongue, that, the word the tongue there, remember that, that that's, he's basically saying our words. Now, in that time, that's the only kind of way they communicated was their words. You remember something, and this is always important to remember about the Bible, Old and New Testament. And, and most people were illiterate back then. Many people were. I mean, literacy was something in the cities, the rate was higher. But in the countryside, it was lower. And even in the cities, it was way lower than it is today. Literacy was, uh, some people had it, many people did not. And so, um, and there was no internet. People weren't, on, you know, typing things at all. There was, most people couldn't write. There was no printing presses to reproduce books anyhow to learn from. Many people were agrarian in lifestyle, so they were too busy farming and trying to eke out a living every day to learn to read or to write on limited supplies without, I mean, we take so much for granted from the ability to mass produce writing to learn to read, to have time to do the things we do. That wasn't always the case. So when, when, when they talk about, you know, using our words wrong, they refer to what we say, our tongue. But in our context today, that could be what we type. That could be what we write. That could be what we text. That could be what we say on the internet, because for us, we have a lot more ways to communicate than just our mouth because of, of what we have today. So, so the Proverbs said that the tongue, or in other words, our words, our words can bring death. They can bring death to someone's reputation. They can bring death to a relationship. They can bring death to someone's uh, self-confidence. They can cause harm, destruction. The tongue can bring death or the tongue can bring life. And he says, those who love to talk or type or text or write, those who love to use words that can bring death or life, those who love to do that, will reap the consequences. That idea of sowing and reaping what you sow, that if we, if we uh, sow death with our words, our life will experience the consequences of that around us and in us. And if we sow life, it will come back to us as well. And boy, he's, it's a good proverb. It's a great, someone, we ought to write that one down somewhere. It's so good. And so as James begins to talk about the tongue in our section, I want us to remember that. So James is going to talk about it from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 today, if you want to follow along. He's going to talk about this idea. I mean, and the reason why it's big is because of this. And we know this is true. Everyone wants to be an influencer. Like, some people, some people are like, well, you know, not me, I don't care. But you probably do want to influence your spouse or your people in your house or your tight circle of friends with your opinions. But some people, in all parts of history, in all parts of the world, everyone today out there in culture wants to be an influencer. I want to be a TikTok influencer. I want to be a, a YouTube star. I want to be a whatever it may be. I want to just, I want to be an influencer. That's the word that people use more recent years is influencer. Been around forever. We just, the idea of I just want to be famous or I want to have, you know, be able to say things people follow and they follow me. How many followers do I have on Twitter? We want to be influencers and share our thoughts on how the world should run and how the you know, country should work and how everything should go. And people got lots of opinions, right? And um, the thing is, is that was no different in James's day. But they didn't have TikTok back then or YouTube or other things. In fact, if back then, if you wanted to be an influencer, there was about one entire place you could probably go in their day to have a platform upon which to speak. There was like one place where you had a podium to stand behind in that day. And that would have been 
the local Jewish synagogue. Remember I told you how these, the Jewish people scattered and they built synagogues wherever they went? Well, it's something you might not know, but in ancient culture, in ancient culture, in Jewish culture, part of, this is way before Jesus came, by the way, before Jesus even walked the earth. In the hundreds of years before then, in these local synagogues, one of the Jewish practices was that during their gatherings, there was a chance for people who were, who were coming together to step up and say something on the, behind the podium. These were community events for their community. They come together, and they come to the podium, and they would oftentimes read a portion of the scriptures they had, and they would you read a little bit, then they could say something. In fact, you might remember this in the Bible, because when Jesus arrived, remember the story when Jesus went back to Nazareth, and he, he went to his own home synagogue, and during that public time, he went up and read from Isaiah 61, and then he sat down and he opined that that prophecy was about him. And then he kind of poked at the crowd about their racism and almost got himself killed by them before he left town. Um, or remember when Paul, the missionary, would travel to Jewish synagogues wherever he went and would go in there and announce during the public speaking time who Jesus was and would spread the gospel? This was a custom in their synagogue. So when James is writing to his people, they had a platform. It wasn't social media. It wasn't the internet today. But they had the means to get on their, their, behind their podium, on their platform at their synagogue and say something to their local gathered community of whatever they wanted to do. They want to be influencers in that way. And what James is going to say about that is helpful because it, it informs what we do today in our own world, perhaps on our social media accounts, through our text, or how we text, or how we talk on, 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 on YouTube or on, on, on Facebook, or how we behave to each other in our workplace or in a room group of full of friends at a get-together or wherever it may be. James says this in James chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's a very loaded verse right there. I don't want you to overlook it. He said, not many of you should, should take the chance to get there and try and tell everybody what you think and be an, be an influencer of your day. Not many of you should use your words that way. Some many of you just need to not do that. You all have something to say, but maybe you ought not say it. And he makes a statement, we who teach will be judged more strictly. I think there's a lot there that I don't have time to unpack all of it today. But let me just make a couple observations about that last part of the verse. First of all, what it's saying, I think, is that those of us who like to use a lot of words get a lot of, draw a lot of attention to what we say and we get a lot of judgment back. Some of you who are always, you know, airing everything you have to say and all your opinions out there. There are people who may or may not tell you what they think about you, but you're putting yourself out there and you're getting scrutinized for all those words. You're going to get judged. You're going to get, you're going to get noticed when you're trying to be an influencer. Part of the problem is, is you get to be, you know, everyone opines about what you had to say. And they either quit following you or ignore you or get a bad impression of you or maybe they like what you have to say. But you get judged more strictly when you're out there putting out your thoughts all the time. But then I think it also means that before God himself, that we who use our words a lot must be all of us must be careful that what we say is not damaging people or damaging the truth or doing something wrong that we feel is right or doing the truth in the wrong way and hurting and, and, and really hurting the name of God perhaps or, or, or hurting people who are made in God's image. We have to be careful because we'll be judged by how we use these words. Anyhow, James goes on and says this in verse 2. He says, Indeed, indeed we all make many mistakes. Now he's not just referring to the fact that we all make mistakes in general. He's specifically referring to we all make mistakes with what we say. 
We all say things we shouldn't say sometimes. We all write things or type things we shouldn't say sometimes. We all make many mistakes. And I like that James does this here. Because James is including himself. He says, we, we all do this wrong. He wasn't like preaching at everyone else, you rotten sinners. James is like, guys, listen, we all struggle with this. And I'm glad he said that because I can tell you right now that this passage of Scripture that we're studying today, this convicts me. This challenges me because I'm guilty. I fail in this area. So as I'm preparing this message, I'm convicted. I hope that you will be too. And James is saying, look, we all make mistakes. Now, the, the hope is that if we can all acknowledge that we make mistakes and we can feel bad about it and want to do better. Because there are some people out there who we don't want to do better. We, just ju- we use that kind of a statement to justify ourselves. We're like, see, that's just how I am. That's just how I am. I'm just the kind of person who says what I think. And maybe we shouldn't. I just shoot from the hip. And people are getting hit. You know, I mean, maybe... We shouldn't just say that's just who I am, and we should say, yeah, I should be convicted by that. But I think that what James is doing in this passage is he's providing both comfort and correction. Comfort to say, hey, listen, if you blow it and you feel bad like you should, that we, that we make mistakes with our words. Good news, you're not alone. We're all struggling, and we can find grace with God and forgiveness, and we can do better. But correction to say, we need to do better. In fact, if you were with us a few weeks ago in chapter 1, James kind of addressed this earlier. Let me go back to chapter 1, verse number 19. James had told us, understand, understand, my dear brothers and sisters, we must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Remember that? I said we could do a whole Sunday on that one verse, and we still could. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. We tend to do the opposite. We're quick to get angry, and we're quick to speak our mind, and we're slow to listen. We're slow to consider all the other vantage points. We're slow to gather all the information. We're slow to consider a bigger picture than just our immediate take and our anger and our, 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 what we say to or about the situation. And James says, we've got to stop that. We got to be quick to listen. We should be people who listen and learn. And, and, and if someone that, something annoys or something bothers or angers or something hurts us, we should understand where that's coming from and why. And is, there some, is it more complex than I thought it was? We should be quick to listen. If we have to speak, we should be slow to speak. And we should be slow. We should be slow to get angry. I mean, that, that is such a powerful verse statement right there. It can't, it's one of the best instructions in the scriptures for all of us, probably. So James is talking about this. We all make mistakes, but we could do better. Take comfort that no one's perfect. I'm convicted by it. You are, hopefully. But we should not settle for saying, that's how I am. We should say, God, thank you for your grace. Help me to do better. Help me to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Help me to use my words wisely. Back to our passage in James chapter 3, verse 2. James says this, For if we could control our tongues... We would be perfect and could do, we could also control ourselves in every other way. If we, this is a powerful statement. If we could control our tongues, what we say to people, what we say at people, what we say about people that causes damage about them to others, well, we, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Now, think about that. This self control is hard, isn't it? I mean, for example, Maybe you struggle with, you want to exercise more, but you struggle to do it because it sounds good until you have to do it, then you suddenly feel fatigued. And I, 
Or maybe you, you, want, you want to eat better. You're like, I should eat better. i got to stop eating after 8 o'clock at night. Or perhaps after 6 o'clock at night. Or maybe it's after 4, I don't know. Um, but, but you mean well, but then, man, those nachos are good, you know. Or perhaps you're like, I need to get up earlier with my alarm clock. But then the next morning, the snooze button sure sounds good. Or perhaps it's uh, an addiction that you struggle with. Maybe you, want to, you think, you, I, I, I'm getting, drinking too much, and I'm, I'm not, it's not good for me, but I, I need to stop. But, I, but then you say, well, I can, let's just have a little drink, and then that turns into, and I, you don't stop, and you feel bad again the next day, but you keep struggling with the same problem over and over again. I don't know. It could be a thousand things about self-control that we struggle. And James is saying those are easy They're not easy, but he says they're easy compared to controlling our tongues. If we can figure out how to control that little thing called our tongue, or in other words, our words, the things we say, the things we write, the things we vent, the things that that are in us that come boiling out of our mouth or fingers, if we can control our tongues, man, we can control the rest of it. The the rest of it's easy. You want a you want a starting point. You want to. I saw Glenn. You're reading that book, Atomic Habits, today. Uh, that's a great book. They talk a little bit about keystone habits. You want to find a keystone habit that can trickle into every other habit of your life. If we can control our tongue, we can control ourselves in every other way. It's probably the one domino that can knock all the other dominoes over, because it's that big of a deal. It's that big of a deal. And James is going to make this point for us. Through illustrations. James loves his illustrations. If you've been with us, remember his mirror, mirror, looking in the mirror illustration? He loves illustrations. He uses a lot of them today. He uses two right now to make this point that controlling this one little part of our body can bring control of the rest of our body. That controlling this one part of our body could improve all the other areas, could lift the rest of us along with it. Here's what he says in verse three illustration. He says, We can make a large horse go wherever we want to by means of a small bit in his mouth. Now again, he's speaking to a culture that they understood riding horses. Many of us in this room have never ridden a horse in our life. Or maybe we, I, I've ridden a horse a few times when I was younger. Maybe you have or haven't, but probably a lot of us haven't ridden horses. Or maybe you watch a TV show where they ride horses or uh, read a book where they ride horses. Right? We, probably not a lot of horse riders. Um, most of us, our horsepower is in the engine of our car with air conditioning that we take to go places that we go to. But in his culture, they rode horses. And if you ever rode a horse, you know that they're very strong animals. You can't just walk up to a wild horse and control it by saying, hey, horse, throw your arms around its neck and make it do what you want it to do. It's not going to work. But if you can put a bit in that horse's mouth, that strong animal, you can make that thing turn where you want it to go through a little itty bitty bit. And James is making an analogy. He makes another one in verse, uh, the next verse. He says, And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. So picture that. You get, go out to the water and you see a huge ship sitting there. You're not going to jump in the water and push that ship around where you want it to go. Unless you're Captain America, perhaps. You're not going to just jump in the water and push that thing around where you want it to be. But you get a rudder on the back of that ship and you control that rudder. And you can make that thing go, despite the storms pushing against it, despite whatever's happening, you can control that ship through a little rudder. And James is making an observation about how the things that happen in and to us and around us can push us around and affect us or weld things up inside of us. But if we can control that little thing, our tongue or the words, the things that we let come out of us through what we say or what we write or type, if we can learn to have some self-control over our emotions and what we communicate, It's powerful. It's big enough to change our entire course of life. 
our entire direction to make everything better. But also, in a negative sense, it has the power to make everything a whole lot worse if we don't. He says in verse 5, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. In other words, the tongues are, or the typing, the words are little, but they do, they do big things. They say big things. They leave big marks on society. They leave big marks. What we say or what we communicate leaves an impact on other people's lives. It's a small thing with a big impact. Verse 6, he's going to make an illustration. Verse 5a, b, he's going to make an illustration in a negative sense of the words that we use. He says a tiny spark can set a whole forest, a great forest on fire. You ever see these forest fires that rage across the country or see the damage done on TV? I remember when we went out to Yellowstone in 2014, we saw a large section of the forest had been burned down in forest fires. And actually the conservationists told us that in many cases that's good because the fire is rejuvenating to the ground. It will burn down. It will grow back stronger. It's really kind of good. But sometimes fires are not good. They burn through areas where people live. They burn houses down. They kill people. And in, in these California wildfires, or we were in Tennessee one time, saw a section of the Smokies that caught on fire. In many cases, someone was camping carelessly. And they didn't control their fire, and in their carelessness, something caught on fire, and that little spark burned a whole forest down. And James is pointing that out because we know it's true. And here's what he says in verse 6. And among all the parts of the body... The tongue, that little thing, that little spark, the tongue is a flame of fire. So he used a powerful, positive illustration. He said if you could control your tongue, you could control everything. In a good way, you could steer your life through whatever is going on internally or externally. If you could learn to control this one area with what you communicate, what you say, what you type, what you communicate to others. If you could control what words you use it could probably affect your whole life positively in a good direction. But if we don't control it, it's like a flame of fire. He says it is, it is a whole world of wickedness. Whew. I mean, that's not pulling any punches, right? It's a whole world of... Boy, you heard the old expression, the pen is mightier than the sword, right? The pen is mightier than the sword. Why is that? Because a sword might go into battle and fight someone and conquer, but a pen can set a whole army in motion. A pen can set a whole group of people to be discontent with what's going on around them and stir up a whole mutiny or insurrection or a thousand other things with a pen. Words are powerful. And we can't minimize words. Well, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, words are powerful. And he's like, look, it's like a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness that people can use words to some of us get stirred up by other people's words that we listen to or we stir other people up with the words that we communicate. It's a whole world of wickedness. It corrupts the entire body, he says. It can, corrupt your, it can impact your entire life. It can set your whole life on fire. It can burn down opportunities, careers, jobs, relationships, future, reputation, and a thousand other things. It can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. James is pulling no punches about the power of our words. What we say to people or at people or about people to others, the impact it leaves, he says, 
It's a fire that can torch not just other, set a whole forest on fire. It can burn your whole life, your own reputation, your own well-being, your own health, your own future. Badly. Wow. Tell us what you think, James. And then he uses another analogy. He's not done yet. He loves analogies today. Verse 7, he says this. People can tame all kinds of animals. Birds, reptiles, and fish. You ever see an animal tamer? Like you go to the circus and they have the, the tigers that jump through the hoops of fire. Like I don't want to be in the cage with one of those, but good, good for you. We were on a, up in Michigan uh, last week up at Mackinac area. Saw a guy who had a beautiful big bird. Not big bird from Sesame Street. I'd make that clear. He had a beautiful, colorful big bird sitting on his shoulders. Remember that? Everywhere he went, that thing had a bike and rode it, rode with him, he got off it, just kind of balanced. People got near it, kind of, but it, but it wouldn't lead. It wouldn't, wouldn't react. That bird just was with him wherever he went. And we're kind of like, man, that's beautiful. And how does he get it to obey? He's tamed it. And people do a lot more crazy things than birds. I mean, you see those people, that, the guy that goes into the preserves, or used to several years ago. I watched, remember watching on YouTube where some guy would go into this lion preserve area in the in someplace where lions live, and he would like sit with them and hug them and like lay down and they were friendly. I'm like, probably it's not around anymore because he probably got eight one day. He was, at some point, I mean, it's got to go bad somehow, right? Like, or these snake handlers. I'm sorry, but no, I'm not interested in that, okay? You see, how do you handle a snake from a very far away with a large gun? That's how you handle a snake, you know? So anyhow, these people can tame animals. And, and some of them are, are dangerous and that could bite you because it's hard to always keep control, right? And James is saying, we understand that. But then he adds this. He says, but no one can tame the tongue. <laughs> Again, he's not saying, that's just how I am, do what I do. He's saying, we're all guilty, but God's grace, but we can do better. He told us to do better already. But he's saying, it's, it's harder. It's harder than taming that snake or that lion, no one can tame the tongue. He says it is restless and evil. That word restless there, you know, you could be too tired to get into some trouble. You're too tired. Someone's, I said earlier to somebody in church, I said, are you staying out of trouble? They said, I'm too busy to get in trouble. I'm too tired when I get off work. Okay? You could be too tired to go get into trouble of a lot of kinds, but even when you're exhausted in your chair, your tongue can still be restless. The tongue's restless. It can still get on there and say what it thinks. It can still get on the phone and tell someone what they think. It can still snap at your family. It can still be mean to your spouse. It can still be harsh to your children, snotty to your parents. It can be mean to your person on the phone. It can be, it can be snarky at work. It could be, be rotten on social media, insulting people that you don't like. The tongue is restless. Our words, our, our communication, what comes out of our souls, it's restless, it's evil, and full of deadly poison. That's a powerful statement because this is actually another ancient Hebrew proverb. Several Hebrew proverbs say the same thing, that our words are like poison. That when I come at, at someone, when, when you come at your spouse and you, or your kids or, or your family or your, you know, people that you're upset with, and you tear them down, you can put a poison in their soul that can just damage them and hurt them. It's poison. Or when you go to somebody else and you tear someone else down, that you let them know what you really think about so-and-so, or you, in, you, you take the luster of someone else by tearing that person down, complaining about, to someone, else, about someone to someone else, you're not only hurting the person you're gossiping about, you're actually poisoning the hearer and poisoning their soul. Our words are like poison. They can poison others and they can poison ourselves. They can ruin people's whole outlooks and their whole well-being. The tongue. 
In fact, James makes a statement that we, sh- we cannot rush past this next statement, verse 9. He says, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Ooh. Sometimes it praises. We go to church on Sunday morning, and we sing, shine, Jesus, shine. No one sees that anymore, do they? That's an old song. Our God is an awesome God. That's an old song, too. Never mind. But we sing, we sing praises to God and turn around and look at your spouse or your family member or your people and say, you, it, you're worthless and you're no good. I, you make me sick and I don't like what you do. And you're, same mouth, praise God, put someone down. Same mouth, go to church. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. Turn around and say, can you believe so-and-so? I just don't think they should, they should get this or do that or be about that. Same mouth. Weird. Praise God, curse people. Praise God, curse people. Praise God, tear others down. Praise God, put other people down. Praise God, insult them. Yeah, but she drives me crazy, my spouse. He, he, my husband, he he's, he's, irritates me. Praise God, insult my spouse. Praise God, run my kids down, tear them down. Praise God, get on Facebook and let me, people know what I think about those, what I think about those Democrats, about those Republicans, about those people I don't like. Those leaders that I've heard something about from some expert on another other keyboard that has got me all worked up about what's wrong with the world because I'm so smart. Praise God, insult people. But sometimes we do the same thing. It's not just in church with our words. It's what we do on social media. It's like one Facebook, share if you love Jesus, share with 10 friends, and a blessing will come your way somehow. If you love Jesus, share this post, Jesus. And next post, I'll tell you what I think about such and such. Same mouth. It's like, what in the world? Same word, same person. And, and it, it, we're praising God. Sometimes we, cur- we put those down who are made in God's image. You know that people are made, your spouse, made in God's image. Your children are made in God's image. Your parents are made in God's image. The Republicans are made in God's image. And the Democrats are made in God's image. No, they're not. Okay. Praise God. Curse people. Praise God. Put them down. Praise God. Put that, that person down that I don't like because of how they lead or do whatever. Just going to be so rude. Praise God. Mistreat people. Praise God. Gossip about something that bothers me and annoys me. And it's like God is up there saying, I hear you singing praises to me. It's like you're calling me beautiful and telling me my kids are ugly. I'm not, I'm not hearing it. In fact, James goes on to say this in the next verse, verse 10. So blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. And when he says this is not right, he's not just saying it's not right, don't do it. He's saying it's not naturally, it's not right, like it don't work that way. It's not right. Like, what's he saying here? It's not, it's, it, you can't get the same mouth to do these two things. It's, it's the same source. How is that happening? Something's wrong if the same mouth produces praise and put down. In fact, he explains it in verse, next, verse 11. He says, does a spring of water, does a spring of water bubble up with both fresh water and bitter? In other words, if you went to a spring of water and you took a drink and said, man, that was pretty good water. And then the next day you took a drink and you got sick to your stomach and were laid up for three days because it, it gave you water poisoning of some kind. Or you could drink a drink of water and it was refreshing to you, but then your friend drank one and they got sick to their stomach for three days. 
You wouldn't say, oh, that's okay. It's a good spring because it may be, I, the first drink was good. You know that if, if it sometimes makes someone sick, it's a bad source, right? Like if it's a good source, it will not make anyone sick. But if it's a bad source, it might sometimes feel okay. But other times it's not. You don't trust the source. The source is bad if it does both. But sometimes with our mouth, we think, oh, I'm okay. I know I criticize and tear down and gossip and put people down and insult and get angry with my words. But I also praise God, so it's a good source. But that's not right. In fact, what, what, what we're saying is that that's not a reflection that it's okay because my source is good because I sing Jesus songs or make Jesus posts. What it's saying is that's fooling me from the root problem that's causing the other stuff to come out. The whole source is bad because if the source was good, it wouldn't have bad output. So don't fool ourselves with our religion to think that we're okay when we're not. We should be challenged to say, I got to fix what's going on in here. The source of my water is toxic. And just because it's sometimes good doesn't make it good. And the praising God doesn't offset the putting people down. Verse 12, he says this, does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? In other words, you go out to your fig tree and say, hmm, I wonder what the old fig tree will produce today. Figs or maybe some olives, I don't know. You know, you know what you're going to get because it produces what it is. You don't have to wonder. By their fruits you shall know them. James says, no, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. In other words, if that spring produces something, that's one way that tells you what's in the spring. tells you about the source. And some of us, we get a lot of salt. I mean, not a good kind of salt. We're just salty. <laughs> we got to ask ourselves, what's going on in there? Where's that coming from? So, in light of James's words, I'm going to give us a challenge today. It's a hard one. Today, here's our challenge. I want you to come up for the front and lay your tongue at the altar. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. No. Um, <laughs> no. Here, this is harder than that. that that'd be, that's the easy part. This is, this is hard. When I say this to you, you'll either immediately say, I can't do that. Or you might say, oh, I can do that until I explain it further. So let me explain it further. And then you'll say, oh, wow, that's hard. Here's the challenge. Go, let's go. I want you to aim to go 30 days without a critical or negative word. Okay, you know what? 14, 14 days without a critical or negative. You know what? Seven. Let's go seven days without a critical or negative. You know what? I'm going to take that one. Let's go one day. One day without a critical or negative word. I mean, come on now. Let's be real. For some of us, that would be like, what? You know, as I tamed the wildest animal in the world. Um, one day, you, you know why? You know how you get to 30 days? One day at a time. You know how you get to 30, you do seven. Now, I'm going to say more about that, but let me pause and explain to you what I mean by not a negative word. What I mean is this. Get accountability partners. This is where it gets hard. Tell the people that you do life with, your spouse, your family, your coworkers you spend hours with every day, people you do life with, say, hey, I'm trying something. I want to change my life because I feel like I need to work on the things I say. So I'm asking, I'm trying to do a 30-day challenge where I just say nothing negative or critical. And after they stop laughing, say, um, so I'm asking for your help. If, you, I'm gonna, if I don't catch myself, because sometimes I say things I don't even know what I'm saying. I just am so used to it. If I say something negative or critical, tell me, point it out to me. So I, and I'm, here's what you'll do. Say, I'll apologize for what I said this negative or critical, and then I'll replace it by saying something positive about what I was negative about. I just lost us all right there. Right? 
He said, well, first of all, that's embarrassing to say I have a problem with my tongue. Oh, listen to me. No, it's not. In fact, if, if anyone heard you say, I'm trying to get better with, with my words and I need help, they'd be like, number one, they already know that. <laughs> number two, they'd probably be like, I should probably do the same myself. You don't look less than for trying to do this. In fact, you look like somebody who's trying to make their life better. That's not an insult to you. That's, a, that's impressive. So go to somebody and say, hey, I want to do this. Can you help me? I'm giving you permission to catch me. And if I'm critical, I'll back it off and then I'll say something positive. And that would probably change our whole life right there. Especially the saying something positive part. If you get a habit of putting your spouse down all the time and you had to catch yourself and turn around and say something nice about them afterwards, you'd be like, oh, I'm not going to say nothing negative at all. Because I don't want to say something positive at all. I mean, I'll just, I'll say nothing. I'm going to wash my words. By the way, something positive does not mean, hey, you, you irritate me. Hey, that was negative. Oh, I'm sorry. Positive. I'm positive you irritate me. That's not a positive word, okay? That's not how that works, okay? Or if you're being critical about other people, those people, that group, that person, those people you're gossiping about, and someone says, hey, you're being negative about others, and you got to back it off and say something positive about that person, you probably will say less negative things because you don't want to say something positive about those jerks either, you know? So, I mean, it would probably change everything. So 30 days, starting one day at a time. And when I say 30 days, here's what I mean. You ever go to those job sites where they have that whole sign saying, 17 days since our last accident. Now, to tell the truth, don't tell the truth, but how many of you are the reason that 17 days turn back to zero again? They erase the board and say, okay, zero days since our last accident. They blew it, right? So this is you, like, three days since my last negative or critical word. Oh, man, I'm starting over again. But imagine if you can get through a day, a week. Imagine if some point in 2021 or in the 2020s, you could get 30 days without a critical or negative word, I just, if James is right, this would change our lives. And, and if James is right, this problem is setting things on fire around us, it's poisoning others, and it's hurting our own lives. And if we could figure this out, it's very, very possible that this could actually change every other thing we can't control. Give us the means to move our direction despite the internal or external pressures because the rudder is being controlled. The tongue is being harnessed because we figured out how not to vent or type or text or Facebook post or say things that we shouldn't say because they're only wrong. 30-day challenge. You say, well, I don't think something wrong. Something negative. I think there's nothing wrong with an occasional negative word or... okay. I don't have a problem. People who don't have a problem, but they do. I don't have a problem. Okay, fine. Let's, before you go back to your negative is good mentality, can you even, justifying your negativity, can you even go 30 days without a negative word? Before you go back to the right way, can you even pull off 30 days without a critical or negative word? I mean, seriously, that's a challenge. That's hard. Start with one. <laughs> You kind of need some accountability partners. You need some help. Because you don't tell anybody you're going to do in this, it ain't going to last. Because you're going to know you blew it and you're just going to like, you got to get help. And I got to get help. This is challenging. So we probably would just um, move on here, right? Because, because James said this in verse 2. James said, if we could control our tongues, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. And could also control ourselves in every other way. It's just possible that if we learned that what we say to people or at people or about people to others, if we could learn to stop using our 
words, texting our words, typing our words, posting our words, saying our words, saying things from inside that are wrong. If we could figure out what's causing that and deal with that and learn to control what we communicate, we would probably watch our lives be transformed in ways we've never imagined. That's a challenge. That's a challenge. Or, if I can call us back as we close to the earlier ancient Hebrew proverb, the tongue, the, the, the pen, the typing words, the spoken word, our words can bring death. The tongue can bring death or life, or life. Those who love to talk, text, type, communicate, those who love it will reap in their life, will reap around their life, in their life, around their life, will reap the consequences. So my advice to us today is simply this, from James. Let's speak life. It's a Toby Mac song. Remember that Toby Mac song? Speak life. That's a good one. Speak life. I mean, just, just start deciding to say, I want to be a person who, and it's a hard, again, it's a hard habit to break, as Chicago once saying, right? It's a hard habit to break. But boy, if we could learn to speak life, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, this world would be a better place. And maybe, just maybe, God would be honored. And out of the same mouth, we'd quit flowing two different forms of communication. And maybe less people would be poisoned, and maybe less forests would burn down, and maybe my ship would be controlled through the storms, and maybe everything could be transformed. Maybe we'd be better influencers if we would learn to simply speak life.